This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Faye Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. What is going on? I'm Rob Faye. Welcome to your Monday edition of Sports Bar Radio. It is the 16th day of August, and I am so glad that you've decided to track me down. And let's talk a little bit of sports. We got a lot to get to, don't we? I say that every single time. I feel like we're almost at 100 shows, and probably in 98 or 99 of them, I have said we've got a lot to get to. But that's the beauty. People always assume that the summertime is the downtime for sports. No way, man. There's a ton of stuff going on in baseball. Football's preseason's underway. We got some basketball news. We can dabble into the world of hockey, wrestling, all of it. And we are here five days a week. Sports Bar Radio is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Deep breath. And we do it all over again. Please like, please subscribe, please review, and more than anything, I hope you will share what we are doing here as we bring you Sports Bar Radio, your lunchtime listen, five days a week. I almost thought about getting together with you on the weekend because this has just been bothering me so much. So I've saved it, I've canned it up, I've bottled it up, but now I'm going to twist that cap off. Buckle up, because I want to get you to a lead that I think we all need to hear. We've scoured the globe for the stories that matter to you. Okay, well, let's be honest, Rob picks most of the stories, so maybe they matter more to him? Anyways, pull up a chair and let our bartender pour you a cold one because there's a lot going on in your world today. All right, so I know it's Monday and you're just easing back into your work week. You're probably a little fatigued from the weekend that was. It was hot. It was bothersome. You probably did stuff with the family, wherever you were. And usually Monday's the day where I kind of ease us back into things. But boy, am I upset about something. It comes from a city that you've probably never even heard of, but it involves one of my friends. Full disclosure, one of my former managers with the Vancouver Canadiens, Rick Mignante, got himself into some hot water for something that I think every single one of us would have done. So there's a baseball team south of the border in the Appalachian League called the Johnson City Doughboys. I know what you're thinking. Great name, the Doughboys. But they were about to play their final six games, and then all of a sudden this happened. They were scheduled to play in Greenville on a Sunday night when the game was canceled. No official reason was given, but people close to the situation say that it was related to COVID-19. It's later discovered that a Greenville player, one of the teams that Mignante is about to manage against, had tested positive for COVID-19. There was a heated discussion after Mignante reportedly didn't want to have his team play. He said it was safety for his players. He had to argue with an executive from Major League Baseball, and Mignante was relieved of his duties as a result. He got fired because he didn't put his team on the field to play against a team that had a positive COVID-19 test. The players were told about this. All but 12 of them quit in a move of solidarity with their manager. After that game with Greenville, the Doughboys finished out their season. They had a three-game series at home against Elizabethton, and then they had a doubleheader against Greenville. Again, after the game where he was fired and half the team left, the Doughboys continued on with their season because Boyd Sports President Chris Allen said, quote, we had to sign a bunch of new guys and we're playing baseball tonight. 
He would later go on to say, well, there's never a dull moment in the Appalachian League. Allen suggested that the players that left with Rick Mignante wanted to leave because they were tired, that they had had enough of playing. And he says, quote, that's not the way this thing works. They have an obligation to finish out the season. I hope the kids understand this. I get it. It's been a long summer and they're ready to get back to college, but they knew when the season started and when it ended. They agreed to finish the season unless they made prior arrangements. We don't want to end this on a bad note. At the end of the day, we got the problem solved and we're heading in the right direction." Unquote. So imagine this. And this is what bothers me more than anything. Sure, Major League Baseball is obviously in the wrong. You don't fire a manager, especially a mid-60s manager who's got nearly 40 years in the game because he doesn't want to put his team on the field against another team that could have more COVID-19 identifications in the coming days. There was one that day. Who's to say that it hadn't spread? And who's to say that by playing against them, that wouldn't go into the clubhouse of the Johnson City Doughboys? So I completely agree with Rick Mignante's decision to keep his players away. But what bothers me, what really gets out of my craw, is the fact that the owner of that team didn't stand behind his manager. He didn't only watch him get fired, and watch half of his team walk out the side door, he blamed them for being tired and saying that they just wanted to quit because they weren't going to the playoffs, so why stick around for the last week and a half of the season? Absolutely despicable. Listen to this note. This is a quote from Allen. He says, There's never a dull moment in the Appalachian League. Can you imagine? that you take a stand for the safety of your players and not only do you get fired, but your owner ends up just cowering, putting his tail between his legs and saying, well, that's baseball. Unbelievable. That owner should have pulled his entire team off the field. That owner should have not gone back onto the field until Major League Baseball identified that problem. He had to support his manager. And you know why he didn't? Because he had three more home dates and he had three more opportunities to make revenue. So what did he do? He went out and he piecemealed the team together so that he could keep his gate. You sold your soul for a couple of bucks. And I can tell you this, Johnson City fans know what happened. And Johnson City fans should stand there with that season ticket brochure for 2022 and say, Rick Mignante is one of the most respected managers in the game. Let me tell you a story about Rick Mignante. And some of you, if you've listened to Rob Fee Nation Radio over the years, you've probably heard the same story. But this is the kind of guy that Rick Mignante is. So it's the 4th of July, and the Vancouver Canadians are traveling south. We always played our games in Canada for July the 1st for Canada Day, and we'd always travel south of the border so that some team could play their 4th of July game at home. That's just the way that it always worked in the Northwest League. So we travel to Salem, Kaiser, Oregon. Kaiser, if you want to split hairs. And anyways, we pull up to the stadium at about 2, 2.30 in the afternoon, and it's a big to-do. It's the 4th of July. And the ownership of the Salem-Kaiser Volcanoes is trying to set a Guinness Book of World Records for the most flags surrounding the stadium. I don't, I don't, I mean, I guess there's a record for everything. So we get off the bus, and within probably 50 to 60 feet, 
you can tell there's a couple of players that are a little surprised, so to speak. Not just at the magnitude of the flags that are all around there. I think there were like 350 to 400 flags making their way all around the perimeter of Volcano Stadium. But some of the black players on our team stopped and looked at each other, had a quick conversation, and then looked at Rick Mignante, the manager who was just getting off the bus, and they said, listen, we feel a little uncomfortable because a good third of those flags are Confederate flags. And that Confederate flag represents something that doesn't sit well with certain communities within the United States. And as a Canadian, I learned a lot that day about what that symbol meant to certain players within our team. Rick Mignante backed his players. Rick Mignante went to the ownership of the Salem-Kaiser Volcanoes and said, look, can you do us a solid and please take those flags down? It's a little troublesome for some of my players. Well, the ownership group of the Salem-Kaiser Volcanoes wasn't having any of it. They're trying to set a record and damn it, they probably spent two or three days trying to get those flags up so that they can get this Guinness Book of World Records. Well, Rick Mignante doubled down on his players. He supported his players. He said, if you want to play this 4th of July game in front of a sellout crowd tonight, you are going to need to take those down because I am not putting my team on the field until you make that adjustment. So all of a sudden, an argument ensued. Oh my gosh, you should have seen it. They went back and forth and Rick raised his voice and the powers that be with the Salem Kaiser Volcanoes raised their voice. But you know what? Damn it, he wasn't putting his team on the field. And sure enough, all of the staff within the Salem-Kaiser Volcanoes organization, or at least a majority of them, went around the perimeter of the stadium and took down the flags. They did not set the record that night, but the Vancouver Canadians did play their 4th of July game. But let me tell you about the credibility that that gave Rick Mignante with the players. Not that he needed it because he already had it, but let's just say that Rick Mignante had the ear and the voice and the loyalty of an entire team and its broadcaster. I didn't understand in the moment why it was such a big deal, but I knew at the end of it why it was. I educated myself. I learned on why the Confederate flag in that moment was a problem to those who were trying to celebrate the 4th of July, all of the players wanted to celebrate the 4th of July. So let's now move back to Johnson City, where you have a manager, the same manager, who is saying, listen, you have got a player on the other team that has tested positive for COVID-19. There could be more tomorrow, we're not sure. But you know what, just to err on the side of caution, let's cancel this game tonight. Let's make sure that everybody's clear and free before we put these youngsters back onto the field. And again, Rick's in his mid-60s. The fact that he got friction from Major League Baseball is already disgusting to me. It should have been a no-brainer. There should have been a policy in place that would have immediately canceled that game until that team, that organization, could have come through with negative tests across the board. That's how you stop it in its tracks. But the absolute criminal part of this conversation is that the ownership group of Johnson City should have supported their manager. And I'm not saying that they had to go to Major League Baseball and say, screw you, and take up that torch. But what they should have done is agreed with Rick Mignante, canceled that game immediately, and said, you know what, we'll come back when we know that our players will be safe, when our players know they will be safe. Chris Allen, the president of Boyd Sports, went the other way. Well, there's never a dull moment in the old Appalachian League. And the irony 
He said it's not the only team that has had to deal with that decision. The Elizabethan River Riders, another team in the Appalachian League run by Boyd, were forced to use fill-in players when members of that team quit after another COVID-19 scare. Those replacements played key roles in the 10-0 victory over Kingsport on Sunday. As in, same players, same replacements, just trying to fill a roster so that he could get the gate. Look, I know that there's no blueprint. There's no exact way to handle COVID-19 and everything that we've been through over the last, what, 16, 17, 18 months? But surely, as a manager with 40 years of experience who puts his kids first every single time, that you would want to look to the front office and get the support of them. Hey, if you lose a couple thousand in gates, you know what? That's just the way that it goes, man. It's COVID-19. You can write some of that off. But to all of a sudden watch your manager hang in the wind and get fired for disagreeing, for not fielding his team, and then sitting there saying, well, that's just the way it goes in the Appalachian League, is absolutely sinister, it is disgusting, and I would never work for a guy that had the gate before the priorities of my players' health and well-being. Shame on Major League Baseball, shame on Boyd Sports and their president, Chris Allen. It's an absolute disgrace, and I hope that this story does not go away, because the fact that Rick Mignante got fired is an embarrassment to baseball, and the fact that he had to give up his job to ensure the player's safety is embarrassing as well. Surely, we're better than that. All right, let's take a look at the rest of the world of sports. There's more than just me getting angry at some baseball team down in Tennessee. We got a lot to get to. There's a lot that's happened, including some wrestling, including some MMA. Yes, we're going to talk baseball, basketball, football, hockey, all the usual suspects. But let me get you to that one room where we house all of it. You know where we're going. Clean yourself up, fella. Pop that collar, put your fingers through your hair once or twice, get it looking good, because I'm not just taking you to any part of this sports bar. I'm taking you into the VIP room. You knew tonight was going to be a good night, didn't you? Guys, the ladies don't want you wasting their time, so get to the point. Ten topics, ten minutes. Hold on to your drinks, because we're about to bring you the entire world of sports before the DJ can pull out the vinyl for his next set. Welcome to the VIP room. The, the no-hitter thrown by Tyler Gilbert, who spent the entire COVID offseason working with his dad as an electrician. It's an unbelievable story as the Arizona Diamondbacks shutting out and no-hitting the San Diego Padres 7-0 over the weekend. And for Tyler Gilbert, what a story. Drafted in 2015 by the Philadelphia Phillies, he was traded to the Dodgers after five years in February of 2020. Then he was taken by the Diamondbacks in the Rule 5 draft. So let me just stop there for a second for all of you guys that don't understand what this looks like. So he's taken by Philadelphia, plays and toils in the minor leagues for five years. Finally, the Phillies are like, we don't have a spot for him. Dodgers take a look at him. Then they don't have anything for him, and they put him into the Rule 5, which basically means when you get to the Rule 5 draft, it's basically somebody's going to pick you up and find a home for you, or you're on your own. And this is what makes the story great, because again, picked up in the Rule 5 December 2020 with COVID surrounding us all. He spends that offseason working with his dad as an electrician, still throws. The Diamondbacks, the Diamondbacks are having a terrible season, by the way, so this is the perfect opportunity to give a young guy a shot. Tyler Gilbert, no hits. No hits. One of the best teams in baseball, the San Diego Padres, and does it with his dad in the stands. 
It's an unbelievable story. It is the eighth, by the way, no-hitter thrown in Major League Baseball this season. Some people are saying, wow, that's a lot of no-hitters for one season. But it's the first time in 53 years that a rookie in his first start has thrown a no-hitter. It's not impossible, but you got to go all the way back to 1953, where a young Bobo Holloman of the St. Louis Browns on May the 6th was able to shut out and no-hit the Cincinnati Reds. And before that, you got to go back to 1892 when a slender Bumpus Jones threw a no-no, as did Theodore Breitenstein in 1891. And if you really want to be a stats geek, I mentioned that there were eight no-hitters this year. That matches a mark more than 100 years old as well. The last time that there has been eight no-hitters in one single season, you've got to go back to 1884, which just happens to be the first year that overhand pitching was allowed. Gilbert threw 102 pitches, 64 strikes, and his fastball rarely got past 90. And yet, he throws a no-hitter in his first major league start. Uh, Gilbert, by the way, was the 15th different D-back starting pitcher this season. That is also a club record for the Diamondbacks, who again are miserable and should secure the first overall selection at the upcoming MLB draft. Well, as good as it's been for the Toronto Blue Jays, who are nine games above 500, getting ready to take on the Washington Nationals in Washington, Blue Jays still woke up this morning seven and a half games out of first. That is seven and a half games behind Tampa Bay. Four and a half games out of a wild card spot, and now you all of a sudden look at the numbers and say they might be running out of time. They have played 117 games, and right now they've got to get things going if they want to leapfrog over the Yankees. It is Boston and the Oakland A's right now who hold those two wild card spots, and they're both as hot as a pistol right now. Boston have won three in a row, and the Oakland A's are eight and two in their past ten, despite coming off a loss. So the Blue Jays are going to have to just keep doing what they're doing, and hopefully not play the Mariners again because Seattle was an absolute thorn in the side of the Toronto Blue Jays. Seattle, by the way, 63 and 56. They are five and a half games out of the wild card spot, just one game back of Toronto. All right, very quickly, just to let you know who's the hottest team in baseball, you ask? I got you. St. Louis, eight and two in their past 10. They have won six games in a row. They're four and a half back in the wild card in the National League. The team that is struggling the most right now, the Chicago Cubs, who have lost 11 consecutive games, 52 and 68 letting go of some of their pieces, and Chicago has just been brutal since the trade deadline. It has been a very tough debut for manager David Ross, and I don't think it's going to get much easier the rest of the way. Vancouver Canadians enjoying an off day before they open up a series with the Tri-City Dust Devils tomorrow out at Ron Tonkin Field. That is home for the Vancouver Canadians. Question remains, will it be home for the rest of the season? Vancouver is running out of time to be able to bring their boys back north of the 49th and play a couple of games out at Nat Bailey Stadium. I am sure that the Vancouver Canadians will make an official word on that when it is time for them to do so. Canadians woke up this morning 14 games out of first place. Everett has been fantastic all year. This is not a split season. Every year that we've enjoyed Canadians baseball for the last decade, it's been a first-half champion and a second-half champion. This is just one long sprint to the finish line. So the Vancouver Canadians not officially eliminated yet, but 14 games back in fifth place out of the six-team High A West. Uh, the two bottom feeders going to get together tomorrow. Vancouver and Tri-City, both of them have had tough seasons. 
Well, to the hardwood we go, and not a lot going on on the NBA's ledger right now, but the Clippers did acquire Eric Bledsoe, who's making a return trip to Los Angeles. It'll be his second stint with the Clips. They picked him up from the Grizzlies for Patrick Beverly, Rajon Rondo, and Daniel Arturo. Patrick Beverly, at one point, was considered one of the best defenders in the National Basketball Association. Rajon Rondo has been with many a team. I kind of wonder if Rondo is on the verge of retirement. But for the Clippers, getting rid of both Beverly and Rondo in exchange for Bledsoe shows that they are going to make one last push to try and catch the rest of the teams in the Western Conference. Okay, collectors, do you remember, I think it was just last week, where I talked about the fact that that Honus Wagner baseball card uh, was up for auction. Guess what? It sold. And it sold for more money than any other baseball card or sporting card in the history of this planet. As the holy grail of baseball cards sold for $6.6 million. It was expected to bring in over six, and it did. 26 bids, 6.6 million. And Robert Edwards, the president of the company that did the auctioneering, said this is the Mona Lisa of baseball cards. That tops the 52 Mickey Mantle rookie card and the LeBron James rookie card that both sold in 2021 for 5.2 million. The Wagner card graded VG3, which is very good. Only 50 to 60 of them are even known to exist. The identity of the buyer is not known, but 6.6 .6 is a lot of money. Well, Ron Rivera, the head coach of Washington's football team, says he's absolutely sick and tired of the fake news when it comes to the COVID vaccines, calling misinformation spreaders <laughs> who are causing people to die. The 59-year-old is immune deficient after battling skin cancer last year. He's been a real strong advocate, according to TMZ Sports, for getting his team and others to take the COVID-19 vaccine this season, saying back in July he was, quote, beyond frustrated with players who hadn't been vaccinated. Well, if you're a betting man, Jay-Z wants your money. His latest hustle looks to be big-time sports gambling, and he has signed on with some pretty big guys in a bid to open a sports book in New York and that move could financially put him into the stratosphere. If you already think of companies like FanDuel, BetMGM, Caesars Sportsbook, WinBet, DraftKings, they're all out there. And according to TMZ Sports, he's partnering with Sixers partner Michael Rubin to form Fanatics Sportsbook, a company that makes software used for online sports gambling. And it is known that this isn't Jay-Z's first foray into gambling. He's had gaming licenses in both New Jersey and Nevada when his 4040 clubs were open in Vegas in Atlantic City, but he closed those down several years ago. Conor McGregor says he will be back in 2022, says, quote, I'm improving rapidly, and that he is working with the best team that money can buy. That from his own Twitter account, he says, I'll be back in no time, locked and loaded. And from the court, Naomi Osaka has said that she's going to donate all of her prize money to Haitian relief following that 7.2 magnitude earthquake. Osaka's dad is Haitian, and for next week's tournament, where she's seated second, she could make up to $255,000. She says all of that money will make its way towards relief. All right, let's take our break here. When we come back, we're just going to keep on rumbling into the world of sports and ask the question, is there too much hockey in British Columbia? Is there too much hockey across the Lower Mainland? I'm Rob Fain. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio, brought to you as always by Equity Guru. We'll be back after this.
You're listening to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity Guru. Equity Guru, investment information for millennials and madmen. This segment is brought to you by me and my new enterprise, Nation Extreme Wrestling. Hey, what would happen if a wrestling mark from way back decided that he was going to start his own wrestling promotion here at home and have some of the most talented wrestlers in North America hang out with him? Well, tell you what, you can follow our journey at www.nationextremewrestling.com and stay tuned for show dates in the coming months. Welcome back to Sports Bar Radio with host Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity.Guru. All right, welcome back to Sports Bar Radio. I am Rob Fay. Your Monday edition is front and center. And again, my thanks to everybody at Equity Guru for helping me get this show on the road. Uh, speaking of road, I don't know if you caught this, but Merritt and the interior right now really struggling. I just want to say all of our thoughts with everybody who are battling those blazes. You've heard me say this over a number of shows how much I value the firefighters across this region and everything that they're doing. And yes, we talk about the bigger cities, but there have been a lot of small towns that have fallen by the wayside just because the fire in so many different parts of this province is burning. And now it's starting to get to some of the bigger names in our province. And I think that's raising some eyebrows. And all we can say is with all these evacuation orders, if you do get one of those orders, please don't try to stay there and fight the fire. Just leave, let nature take its course. Hopefully you've got insurance and hopefully you realize that your life is that much more important. So uh, again, all of our thoughts, all of our prayers, all of our good energy and good vibes going towards those who are battling the blazes across the province. Man, it's been so difficult, hasn't it? In addition to the heat across the province, COVID-19 protocols, the fires, it's tough to stay motivated. It's tough to stay positive some days. And I hope that you can draw from your friends or your family and uh, just know that this podcast is here and we will try to have a little bit of positivity for you as well. Yes, every once in a while I'll get up in arms because something happened on a baseball diamond that I don't agree with, but for the most part, um, even just a familiar voice, you know that I'm going to be here for you five days a week, and I take that responsibility seriously, and hopefully you guys will check in, and together we can take your mind off of some of that and just talk about sports for uh, even just a couple of moments a day. So speaking of having just a couple of moments, earlier this morning, and I don't have the audio, uh, WWE has not provided me with the audio, but a good friend of mine, Gary Prehar, from Move Health and Wellness, one of my partners on uh, The Nation, which is a post-game Canuck show that I do, he said to me the other day, he goes, Rob, uh, you like wrestling? I said, uh, yes, I do. I don't know if you know that. It's kind of the worst kept secret around. But he goes, I, I've won this thing, and it is a two-minute one-on-one with Rhea Ripley, who is one of the best female wrestlers in world wrestling entertainment. It's a big deal. So I'm sitting there, and I'm kind of like, oh, my God, I would love to take that. You're offering that to me? No problem. Two minutes is no big deal. But I found out shortly after received it that it was at 6 in the morning, which for some of you farmers is not a big deal. But for a guy that usually wakes up at 8.30 or 9 o'clock, it was kind of one of those things where I was like, okay, I can do this. I, I have the technology. So I woke up this morning bright and early, and sure enough, I'm sitting at my desk waiting for my two minutes. And uh, I don't know if you know her, but she's this Australian wrestler, super athletic. She's battling Charlotte Flair and Asuka. She's one of the best. If memory serves me correct, she's 
won a championship or she is the champion part of me she is the champion so it gets to be my turn you can see yourself in the queue so you're five people away you're four people away and everybody's getting their two minutes to sit there and have a conversation with a champ which is a really neat prospect i would like to think at some point us with new we're going to consider that as well so anyways finally i'm one person away and it's my moment it's like you're on in three two one now i've been very fortunate that i've been able to interview uh, a number of people but it was one of those conversations where i wanted to get three good questions in and i wish i could play it for you i have the audio of it but the audio is pretty gosh should i even try okay if you're willing right now to just accept that i recorded this off of my computer through my phone i will play this to you because it's only two minutes but it was two minutes with me and Rhea Ripley, the women's champion in the WWE Universe. And uh, okay, as long as you know that eventually I'll post better audio, I will give you this inside little interview that I did with the champ. Good morning, Rhea. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I have to ask you the most common question that you get asked. What is it? Oh, gosh. The most common question that I get asked. Oh, it's... <sighs> I normally get asked, like, how did I get into wrestling a lot? Um, that would probably be one of the main ones. <laughs> the only reason I ask is I really appreciate you doing this. And I, I was sitting here and I was thinking of, like, a thousand different questions. And I guess the one that if I only got two minutes with you that I want to ask is, take me to one situation in your life where you thought, how the heck did I get here? <laughs> oh, I mean, I've had that situation many times many many times the first one in america would be the first may young classic right before my first match i was i remember I was sitting at um, a picnic table out the back waiting for my match i think we were like next or something and i was just sitting there and i was like freaking out i was like how did i get here <laughs> i was like i'm 20 years old i'm on the other side of the world away from my family like how did i get here <laughs> I was very confused. <laughs> when you look at everything that has come at you, obviously all of a sudden you had that moment where they took the crowd out of the equation. How much did that challenge you to go from all of these crowds to all of a sudden just the echoes of a big room? It was very strange, uh, very strange. It took a lot of getting used to. Um, I feel like the hardest thing is you don't get the same adrenaline rush that you get when there is a crowd and you can't connect to people in that way as well. In NXT, I found it was a bit easier because the NXT crew sort of knew me. But when I went to Raw and there was still no crowd, I was like, I don't like most of these people really don't know who I am that are watching because some people don't watch NXT. So I was like, I really don't know how the crowd feel about me. So I think that was the biggest struggle for me. Have you ever looked at another wrestler in the middle of a match and said, wow, we're really getting over with the crowd? Like, do you ever have that look where halfway through a match you're like, yeah, we got him. Yeah, that does happen every now and then. Or it'll be like, instead of a like, yeah, we got them, it'll be like just an in, a real intense look at each other of just like, let's kill each other now. <laughs> Final question for you, Marmite, Vegemite. Vegemite, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, <All the> way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for this, Rhea. No worries, mate. Have a lovely day. Talk again. <laughs>
I don't know. I don't think that interview was all that bad. I mean, you got two minutes. It's six in the morning. And yeah, it was just like, I just wanted to make sure that I could get a couple of decent questions in. And what I really liked about her is she was candid. She was straight. She knew what her soundbite was. These guys are pros, man. And um, I found out later that there were a couple of other wrestlers that were doing it. Drew McIntyre, I think, was one of them. But uh, I was actually really happy because I had never really followed her character. And then just when I found out that I was going to be doing that quick Q&A with her, did a little bit of research. It's a really neat story. And it just goes to show you that not all of these guys are lifetime wrestlers. That sometimes you can think about this late. Like, she's uh, trained in martial arts. She likes to swim. She was doing a whole bunch of different things. And then all of a sudden, she caught with this one promotion, Riot City, and took off. And there was no stopping her. WWE identified her as a prospect, shot her through NXT, and she makes it to the WWE, and now she's the champ. And those are kind of cool things. And who was it that said to me that, you know, when you win a belt in wrestling, it's not like you're really the champ. Like, it's scripted that you're the champ. And one thing that I'm learning is that belts are, in fact, earned. And it's rare that somebody out of the blue wins a belt right away. Like, for example, Paige, when she jumped to the WWE and in her first match became women's champion, that's a rarity. That's more for pop and just to put somebody on the scene. But you often think of somebody who finally, quote-unquote, wins a championship belt. It's usually a hard worker, somebody that's put in their due, some storyline that works, and it all comes to fruition. And uh, I don't know, I got a lot of respect for all these people that put in this hard work. I never thought that I would get this close to seeing what's behind the curtain, where you have these conversations with wrestlers, and I, again, amateur and professional, and there's a lot that goes into it. Like, there's so much that goes into it. For example, one of these guys on NEW, Nation Extreme Wrestling, uh, got over really big with the fans as this character, Beef Boy, B-E-E-F, Beef Boy. And everybody would chant beef, beef, beef as he was doing his match and it was cool. But I called him right at the beginning because I wanted to get him in our stable of NEW wrestlers. And one of the things that came up like right out of the gates was, is he going to keep that character? And I didn't realize it because I thought it was so wildly popular that he actually wanted to get away from that character. He wanted to call himself, you know, Elliot Tyler or something like that. And I just thought to myself, branding-wise, marketing-wise, surely you want to be Beef Boy. But regardless of what name he takes on, the thought process that goes into that, the travel that goes into this, the characters and all the different clothes that they have to make and get designed, the face paint, the bumps and bruises that they take, how many is too many, and you talk about all these different things that go into the wrestling industry, and um, it takes a rare breed. It really, really does. Like, when I first found out that I was going to be doing wrestling and started to tell my friends about it, they were all saying things like, oh, can I have somebody hit me in the back with a chair? These wrestlers, they take this seriously, and I really respect it. My respect for wrestlers is gaining uh, every day, it seems, because now I'm understanding what goes into it and how dangerous it can be and how taxing on your body it can be and mentally what it's like to go to Campbell River and then to Powell River and then back to Victoria and then back up to Campbell River and maybe there's a show in Abbotsford or dare we say you go south of the border to Seattle or Portland and all these small towns in between. There is a love for this business that I'm not sure everybody gets. I mean, we're all fans. There's a lot of you closet fans out there that I know kind of like it, but maybe you haven't watched it for a while. I have gained just such a boatload of respect, and I was already a fan. Like, they already had my money. 
but just uh, the opportunity to work with these guys, see how important the storylines are, the character development, a million different elements that go into this. And I'm just, uh, I'm a fan. But more importantly, I would like to think at some point I'll be able to earn my stripes and not just be that fan, but actually be considered a part of this industry because it is something that I think uh, is wildly important. And especially with everything that's gone on in the world over the last, what, 18 months? I mean, I hate to say it, I don't even like opening up the newspapers or the online stuff anymore. It's just one shitty thing after another. It's hard to find good news in 2021, isn't it? And I'm not going to sit here and beat that negativity bush down, but I will say that every once in a while when you can just slip away from reality for even just an hour and go to a wrestling show and all of a sudden you got these guys that are jumping around and the ladies that are putting in the effort and the tag teams that are doing it, and they've cut their promos and I don't know. I just think there's something to be said for theater of the imagination. So belts and, and all the stuff that come with it, yeah, it's cool. But I've got so much respect for what goes into this uh, weeks in advance of you sitting down at that venue and watching what is happening in the squared circle. So yeah, there's my two-minute interview with Rhea Ripley. Uh, Who would have thought that it would be Rob Fay up in Vancouver chewing the fat with the women's champion? But uh, I'll take it any way I can get it. All right, I am going to talk about the hockey stuff. I'm going to take one more quick break here. I'm sorry, I went a little long on the wrestling talk. Let me take a really quick break here. And when we come back, is the market oversaturated in British Columbia or especially the lower mainland with hockey? You think of the Abbotsford Canucks, you think of the Vancouver Giants, you think of the BC Hockey League, you think of the Vancouver Canucks and much more. Is there too much hockey for these second tier hockey leagues and hockey teams to thrive in our province? You're listening to Sports Bar Radio, presented to you as always by Equity Guru. I'll be back after this. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity Guru. Equity Guru, investment information for millennials and madmen. This segment is brought to you by Cybin Inc., a pharmaceutical biotech company running clinical trials on using psilocybin thin strips to treat major depression. Their stock has more than doubled in the past month as the company rolls from milestone to milestone. And the company now has four formulations rolling through clinical trials as they uplist to the New York Stock Exchange. Their ticker symbol, CYBN. For more information, visit www.equity.guru. Did you lose your seat? That's okay. I have a better one up front. Welcome back to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay. All right, final segment of Sports Bar Radio for your Monday. I appreciate you stopping by. And, uh, man, I'll tell you what, I looked out my window a couple of moments ago, and I see a little precipitation. I'll take it any way I can get it. <laughs> People are like, dude, you live in Vancouver. But uh, if you've been here for the last couple of months, let me tell you, rain has not come down on this province very often. I will take it any day I can get it, especially if it helps everybody across the province. Speaking of across the province, I have been fortunate enough to live in a couple of different places in this province, all across the Lower Mainland, and I've even dipped my toe into Powell River uh, when I was working at CHQB 1280 back in the day playing country music. And one of the first opportunities that I got to see the BC Hockey League was in Powell River, 
and I'll never forget it because it was one of those nights where I went there. I had just had my daughter, Jada, like days earlier. I took her to a hockey game, go figure, wrapped this baby up and went to the Powell River Kings. Can't even remember who they were playing, but I just remember standing at the top of all of the um, stairs. You know, you got the seats looking down and I'm at the top and all of a sudden these dudes come up to me and they're like, you're standing in my spot. And I'm like, dude, get out of here, man. Like, we just opened the doors like 10 minutes ago. Go, like, go to your... I didn't get it. Like, I didn't understand what was happening. So I took offense. You know, you get your back up. You got your kid in your arms. And then all of a sudden, they're like, no, you're actually standing in my spot. So I look down, and all of the standing room only seating is individually numbered. Your standing space has a number on it. And then I realized, and only then did I realize, how important and how popular this BC Hockey League was to the community of Powell River, that not only were all the seats sold out, but even standing and leaning over the rail had a designated spot. It was crazy to me, because in Vancouver, in the Lower Mainland, the Burnabies of the world, the Chilliwacks of the world, the Surrey team, it just, they never had that kind of popularity. There'd be like 100 or 200 people that go to their games, but you go into the interior, and or, you know, over on the island, or dare I say up the coastline in Powell River, there are big numbers of people that take in these games, especially when you got to take a ferry or you're the only ticket in town. Like after about, what, five, six o'clock, you don't leave Powell River. Or if you leave, you're not coming back because the ferries at some point, um, they stop running and you're pretty much locked into that community until bright and early the next day. So anyways, it's the, the big ticket in town. I've been lucky enough to be uh, broadcasting the Fraser Valley Bandits basketball, which is out at the Abbotsford Center. Even just in the two months that I was there, I'm looking around at this building and I'm like, man, it's really beautiful. They got seats, they got suites, they got a huge video board, it's all there. And halfway through our season, the Canucks moved their team from the East Coast into the uh, Abbotsford Center where now they're going to have their AHL affiliate. So you've got the NHL Canucks, the American Hockey League Canucks, about 15, what is it, maybe 50, 60 kilometers down the road. You've got the Vancouver Giants who are there, the Western Hockey League's in the house, and then you've got a collection of BC hockey teams that range all across this province. And that's before you get into anything else. So I would like to put the question forward to you, and I'd love to hear back from you. Hit me up at Rob Fay, R-O-B-E-F as in Frank A-I. Is there too much hockey? Is it too oversaturated in the lower mainland? Because on the island, I get it, there's all these smaller teams, and then you've got the big team in Victoria. In the interior, when you can't drive down, you've got Kamloops and Kelowna who have their Western Hockey League teams, and then there's BC Hockey League teams saturated throughout that region as well. But where I'm circling on my map of British Columbia, a little bit of a concern right now is in fact in the Fraser Valley. I think that the Vancouver Canucks moving to the Abbotsford Center is great in concept because yes, now you've got your American Hockey League team, your minor league affiliate just an hour and a half away from the big team. That's how you should do it. I think there's what, eight or nine teams that actually share the same city or is it the same name? I can't remember, anyways. It makes a lot of sense on a number of fronts where Jim, where Jim Benning, where the staff can go out. They can use the same facilities on certain nights. I mean, it makes a ton of sense to have your minor league team beside your major league team. But if you think of the 100-kilometer radius that includes Abbotsford, that includes Chilliwack, that includes Surrey, Langley, that includes Burnaby, Coquitlam, 
there's a lot of hockey options there. Now, for a fan, that's great, because if you want to buck up, you can go see the Vancouver Canucks. If you want to sort of buck up, you can go to Abbotsford. If you want to actually find yourself a pretty decent night where you can afford to eat while you're at the game as well, you can still see the Giants, or you can even go to the BC Hockey League. But I think my challenging question is, I still haven't wrapped my head around, who is this going to affect the most? Will it affect Abbotsford after the first year or two, when the lure and grandeur of having an American Hockey League team is there? Will it finally subside? Or, because they are there now, is that going to push people away from watching Ron Toygo's Vancouver Giants? It is a question, and I think it's a fair question. Is there enough fan to go around? And if so, that's great, but if not, who's it going to affect? My fear is that it might be the Vancouver Giants. I think the BC Hockey League in the Lower Mainland always draws, you know, like I said, 100 to 200, and that's going to be their MO. That's going to be it. So let's let's centralize. Let's just talk straight up Giants versus the Abbotsford Canucks. Can both of those teams live within a 50-kilometer radius of each other? And I think I'm about right on the math on that. The Giants moved away from the Pacific Coliseum because the Coliseum was getting too expensive. It was kind of worn down and they could get a better deal if they went out to Langley, if they went out to Burbs. So that's what Ron Toygo did. And it's a beautiful, shiny venue. Doesn't seat nearly as much as what they got down at the old Coliseum. But you know what? It's been a perfect venue for what they are. Now, all of a sudden, they... And you got to remember, they haven't had a lot of competition out there because the Vancouver Canucks are doing their thing. Uh, the Western Hockey League doesn't necessarily worry about the BC Hockey League, so they've kind of had that pie all to themselves. But the American Hockey League was not a part of the conversation. A little bit different when the affiliation goes from Calgary to the Vancouver Canucks. And then they've even named their Abbotsford team the Canucks for just straight brandability across the Lower Mainland. Ron Toygo's got some tough decisions here. A, does he keep his team in Langley and just weather it? And he will see a bit of a dip. There's there's no way that he's not going to see a few less people at the LEC as a result of Abbott's for getting a hockey team. Or does he contemplate moving back towards Vancouver and give Abbotsford the Fraser Valley? I had heard rumblings that he did want to at some point move back to the Coliseum. They were hoping that they'd clean it up, maybe retrofit it a little bit, maybe get it a little more modernized. But there's so much money that goes into that. And then I had heard rumors that the Canucks, before they went to Abbotsford, had been kicking tires on the Pacific Coliseum rather hard. That that was actually a part of Francesco's look. He wanted to see where he could get his positioning best and the control angle as well. But Abbotsford makes a lot of sense on a number of fronts if you're Francesco Accolini. And it's more than just having his hockey team there. If he's got control of the building, you could put concerts in there. You could do a lot of things with Canucks Sports and Entertainment. Part of the reason I think they branded themselves as the Abbotsford Canucks. So yeah, I, I get the synergy completely. So who do you think's gonna struggle? Will it be the BC Hockey League? I don't think so. I don't think they're big enough for them to even have a ripple in the water. But the Vancouver Giants, that's an interesting one. It really is. It would be, to equivocate it on a baseball term, if all of a sudden somebody brought a triple-A baseball team into Vancouver and all of a sudden the short-season slash long-season Vancouver Canadians had to look across the bow and say, boy, that team in Surrey is awfully close with a pretty good option, maybe even a better talent pool than we have when it comes to baseball. Now, territorially, I don't think anybody can in the world of baseball, but it, I'm just saying that for just, you know, 
shits and giggles, what if you were to put a team of a higher quality and higher classification in the same neighborhood? It would be tough. So I am hoping that, again, the island is going to be fine. The interior is going to be fine. The coast and the Powell River Kings are going to be fine as well. But that Fraser Valley is up for grabs. And I got a feeling that Ron Toygo and company, although they'll have their diehards, those fence sitters, when given the choice between going to see the Canucks or going to see the Giants, might opt for Abbotsford, which could be a sticky situation for a Giants team that has uh, really been good to the fan base out in the Valley for some time now. All right, let's wrap up our show. Don't forget, we're here Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, so we got a lot more sports coming your way. Tomorrow, we'll get into the NFL. Yeah, the season is now fast approaching. We're starting to see these quarterback battles developing. We're starting to see who the injury bug has bitten harder than others. And uh, the Seattle Seahawks on the heels of a pretty interesting offseason that had Russell Wilson ending up in Chicago. Even from a couple of months ago, yeah, Sports Bar Radio's always got good conversation for you. My thanks to Jay Swing, my producer extraordinaire, brother from another mother, and to everybody over at Equity Groove. Thank you so much for providing me with this platform and allowing me to keep a roof over my family's head. Chris Perry, uh, to Galen, to Hassan, uh, to J.P. Chung, and the irreplaceable Priscilla Choi. I am Rob Fay. I will see you in less than 24 hours from now. Have yourself a fantastic day. Sports Bar Radio was brought to you by Equity Guru, investment information for the new generation. Visit us at equity.guru and let's make some money together. Please note, any mention of companies on this podcast is part of a promotional campaign, and the information you hear should be a part of extensive due diligence. As well, always get advice from an accredited financial advisor before you make any investment decision. Protect yourself.